Sports FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to a conversation with Joe Allen, author of Dark Eon, Transhumanism, and the War Against Humanity. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher. Soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots. And tonight is Thursday, September 7th in the year 2023. Tonight we have a, an amazing guest. This is a person that works on this on the war room with Steve Bannon, and he's written the book called Dark Eon, Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity. And this would be no other than Joe Allen, who is just a fantastic voice on this looming threat and truly what we face as a crisis of beyond crises of humanity. Joe is literally one of the leading experts on this topic, and he's one I would consider to be probably the preeminent expert on the emerging threat of transhumanism and how they're trying to transform culture. So it's a real honor to have him on tonight. Now, before we get going, we know that this threat is real. We know that what they're trying to do to us is to destabilize everything we know in society, and that includes our money. And you have to be very aware of this. So whatever you're doing to protect your income, your retirement income, your hard income, it's worth checking out Birch Gold. They've been with us now for over a year. They've done a great job of taking care of the Bards Nation Patriots. So what you do is you just text Bards, B-A-R-D-S, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898. Again, Bards, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898. Text that, you're going to get a free information kit that will allow you to get research and understanding of what you need to do to back your retirement investments with precious metals, and ideally a precious metals-backed IRA, tax-deferred IRA. These are the folks that can help you, guide you through the process, help you preserve your wealth in a time of crisis, and there's really nothing like having precious metals back this up in a time when our paper dollar is falling, the world, literally economic systems in upheaval. You need to do everything you can to secure that hard-earned retirement wealth. So again, text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898 and get your free info packet today from Birch Gold. Now, Patriots, we have been talking a lot about topics around the looming crises coming at us. We've talked about the emergence of technologies. We talk about the emergence of AI. We talk about the challenge and the problems we have with this transgender movement and the attack on children. But at the whole architecture is wrapped around a principal concept, which is transhumanism. Transhumanism is the belief by an elite group of people who are frankly most of them are pedophiles. Most of them are Satanists. Many of them are atheists, but they seem to walk together happily. And they have this vision that they are going to transition humanity into a new form of humanity. It links eugenics. It links the concept of a god in AI. It links the concept of Darwinism. Or Darwin, Darwinianism. There we go. And all of these principles come together under transhumanism because they believe that humans are about ready to make a new great leap into evolution. And it's not going to have anything to do with God, but rather to wire them into a master 
AI systems so that we become one with the machine, quite literally. This is right out of the matrix. The phones that we have right now are the first step, and they believe this fully, that the smartphone has now become an appliance we can't live without, that the only difference between us and the smartphone is that we are holding the smartphone, and they want to see integrated technology into the human body. And we know that some of this was has been part of this clot shot attack, this bioweapon they've been engaging and using the vax because they have been putting technologies into the human body. All you had to do was read the Moderna site when it first came out, and they told you that they were creating a new type of vaccines that would allow your operating system to be updated by additional shots. They've looked at the human body as a software programmable system in a hard shell, which is the human, which is the flesh body, which I think some even refer to it as a meat sack. These are the same people that believe in transitioning their consciousness into computers and living forever. And at the core of this is a very dark understanding from the occult that they believe that by connecting with AI, they are now able to bring the demonic into everybody's household. They truly believe this. Difference is they don't see demons as bad. They see demons as their channel to be creating gods themselves. And this is a very, very real issue with what we deal with today. Now, Joe Allen is literally the preeminent expert on this whole concept, and he's been working He's been working on Steve Bannon's team. He's part of the War Room and just a great voice and really honored to have him on. And just to let you know, he is going to be speaking on Thursday at Bards Fest, the first day. I confirmed that today with him, so I'm really excited about that. Now, Patriots, on another note, we know that food is another issue that they're using for weapon systems. And you have to be prepared for a coming crisis because things are beginning to slide. Things are starting to fall out of control. How far they fall, we don't know, but food is critical. So make sure you're well-stocked. That means you have to have your primary food, and you also have to have an emergency food supply, and that's where My Patriot Supply comes in. My Patriot Supply is the best supplier, the biggest supplier, and I believe the best for emergency food. These are foods that are packaged, ready to go, sit on your shelf. You can grab them at a go. They'll, they will last for 20 to 25 years on your shelf. All of their products are great tasting. They provide about 2,000 calories a day. And you can get them in emergency food kits for each member of your family. Now, if you head on over to preparewithbards.com, preparewithbards.com, you'll find those the three-month emergency food kits are discounted really well right now. I believe it's about $200 off. It's a great savings. It's worth taking advantage of to get one for every member of your family. These are great products. They're essential insurance of a sort. Even I was going to say life insurance, but sometimes that could be true, unfortunately in a time of this crisis and of, that we're in of transition and collapse is really what we're dealing with. So don't be caught short. Head on over to My Patriot Supply. Use the, you type in preparewithbards.com, preparewithbards.com, and take advantage of these great savings today for a three-month emergency food kit for the entire family. Okay, this is an important interview. There's, there's a lot of information that Joe Allen presents here today. Really worth listening to closely. It's important to understand the magnitude and scope of this threat. And it's what's really amazing is he comes from it. He has both a science and theological background, and he brings these two together. And you're going to find that the two worlds meet, and it is, takes us right back ultimately to Jeremiah 6.16, the need to seek the ancient paths, truly. All right, patriots, without further ado, let me introduce to you Joe Allen. Well, patriots, today I'm really honored to have Joe Allen on. Now, if you've listened to Steve 
Bannon's war room, you've come across Joe Allen. He is literally at this point in time the lead expert, in my opinion, on the transhumanist agenda and what's going on. His recent book, Dark Eon, Transhumanism at the War Against Humanity, even has the foreword written by Steve Bannon. An extremely important topic here that is, you've heard me talk about on the show, but this this discussion today I think will be eye-opening to many people. Joe's background is amazing. He's got a background both in science and theology, and he brings that to the fight to really expose the darkness of what transhumanism is about and literally what's coming at us. So, Joe, welcome to the show. So happy to have you on. Thank you very much, Scott. Very, very good to be here. It's awesome. Well, let's start a little bit with your background so people kind of get a context of you and what you bring to this research and all that you have in the book. Well, I don't want to uh, bore everyone with my own story too much, but my academic life was spent studying comparative religion and also theology and also science, uh, evolutionary science, biological science. And my master's degree uh, taken at Boston University was in cognitive science and evolutionary science as they pertain to religion. That might take a long time to, to unpack, but in essence, uh, if you could imagine taking a beautiful flower, drying it out, uh, pressing it on a slide, and examining it with a microscope, uh, that same degree of lifelessness is inherent in the cognitive science and evolutionary science of religion. It's uh, religion without soul. So um, it didn't take, fortunately, uh, and it, you know, in, to just pivot really quickly, my my pro my professional life. For 15 years, I spent um, most of my days in arenas around the world, uh, hanging structures, uh, temporary structures for rock concerts, for the UFC, uh, for country shows, for rap shows, uh, for religious shows, corporate shows, all of that. And uh, the my job title was a rigger, and what a rigger does is climb high steel, and uh, hang chains to lift these suspension systems. Now, my role wasn't as technologically suffused as like a lighting tech or an audio tech or an automation tech, although I did dabble in uh, automation, meaning like automated movements for trust. But what it did give me, uh, seeing night after night, these massive machines take control of the minds of masses of people. Uh, what I saw from backstage looking out on the hypnotized crowd was a profound vehicle for mind control, for the cultural revolution that was sparked off in the 60s in the West and has really come to fruition now. And um, technology as a concept has always been a part of my study and, of course, was part of my livelihood. Uh, it was really when the pandemic, uh, and especially the response to said pandemic, came down on all of us, that it became readily apparent that the digital cage that seemed like it had a lot of different exits uh, over the last two decades, those exits were suddenly closed uh, guards were placed at the uh, at the at the opening, and uh, it, for a couple of years there, it seemed like the authorities were ready to use all the powers at their disposal 
to herd the cattle into the pens of their desires. So uh, Steve Bannon picked me up uh, March of 2021. He'd read an article I'd written in The Federalist about transhumanism. I was doing a whole series of articles on transhumanism and technology, and he invited me onto his show. Uh, I, I talked briefly about te uh, technology, transhumanism, hired me the next day, and I've been with him ever since. It's been over two and a half years. Uh, he's really how this book came together. He made it possible. In many ways, uh, the book, uh, Dark Eon, is a, a fulfillment of a mission that he put me on, and, and I, my hope is that in two and a half years of just doing nothing but absorbing this extreme view of what to do with technology and seeing all the different ways that these the actual technologies, the sort of prototypes are being rolled out right now. Uh, the book, I hope, is uh, I was able to condense not only the implications of the technology, but to really dig into the belief systems that drive these technologies and these extreme uses of the technologies. Well, let's begin with some fundamentals. How do you define transhumanism? I'm going to give you a two-part answer. The first comes from Julian Huxley, who ultimately is the origin of the term. Uh, Julian Huxley in the mid-50s described transhumanism as man engaging in the greatest business of all, uh, directing his own evolution. Huxley believed, and that's the brother of Aldous Huxley, author of A Brave New World, uh, Julian Huxley believed that human beings through the sciences and the resulting techniques from the sciences could perfect human beings biologically, that is eugenics, and could also perfect human culture. And he believed that the next phase of humanity would be as different from we are now as we are from the caveman. And that was in the mid-50s. Uh, incidentally, that was around the same time that the term artificial intelligence was coined by John McCarthy at the famous Dartmouth conference. It was also around the time that James Watson and Francis Crick uncovered the helical structure of human DNA or DNA in general. And that's the first part. The oldest part focuses on human biology and human culture. The second part, which comes into play really, uh, we'll say in the, the, the late 70s, early 80s, and definitely by the 90s, the movement transhumanism coming out of uh, a, a clique of intellectuals looking at all of the technologies that had already been developed, digital technologies, biotech, automation, and robotics. The early transhumanists, uh, early, by early, I mean that, that, that formative group in the 80s and 90s saw artificial intelligence as key to all of this, that human beings, human brains, uh, not even having a soul or a higher intelligence to turn to in their view, would ultimately have to create and would create artificial minds that were superior to our present biological minds and that the creation of those biological those artificial minds would allow for the increase in human intelligence mentally but also the increase in human abilities 
biologically that artificial intelligence would accelerate genetic engineering. Uh, probably the most alarming element of all of this is how many viable technologies have been developed that reflect that worldview and how many leaders in Silicon Valley, in finance, in the military, and in non-governmental organizations like the World Economic Forum, how many of them are voicing the goals of transhumanists to transcend what is human into something new, a new human being, humanity 2.0. All of these extremely powerful and influential organizations and the individuals within them have become intoxicated with the transhumanist point of view. As I mentioned before the show, in an earlier part of my life, I worked up in some of the labs in the Northeast, worked around them doing some contract work. And part of those projects was the Super Soldier Project, which a lot of the things you're describing were not an option, but the only way ahead using in injected technologies to enhance the performance of the human machine, as they would say, to um, create a, a, an ability to have self-healing and rapid healing with nanotech inside the body, increase the performance levels, et cetera. And it was, it's a, as you say, it's, a, it's, not a, it's not a question of whether they're going to do it. It was just a pursuit of how fast they could move. Now, that was 2014. And the technologies were probably more advanced than we realized. But where do you see the state of this technological direction in the idea of truly creating a real transhuman model? You know, uh, Hugh Hefner, founder of Playboy, famously said that a man's reach should always be further than his grasp. And I think that transhumanists in general, their reach always goes beyond their grasp. The dream of what these technologies will be is always beyond the actual realities. Uh, and yet, I'll, I'll give three examples that have really struck me. The first, artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence, when it was first coined, was the idea that you would have a thinking machine, a machine that could think like a human. We're nowhere near that unless it's being held in secret. And if, if that's the case, I can't tell you about it because you know it's secret. But what we see now that they have released, especially GPT and also AlphaFold coming out of Google, shows, and, and a number of other systems, by the way, that get less press coverage, have shown that in narrow domains, artificial intelligence operates at levels far beyond any human being. People oftentimes point to the mistakes made by GPT or how unesthetic its writing is. Uh, all of that being acknowledged, I think it ignores the fact this is a machine that trained on vast quantities of human literature, far more than any human being could hope to read in a million years. And it is able to assemble and spit out responses to questions that are 80% accurate and oftentimes more artful than any person should be comfortable with. Uh, that is also not the end of it, most likely. Unless it caps out here, it's going to keep improving. And that's not to mention all of the other AI systems that in their own narrow domains, from gene sequencing to protein modeling uh, to weapons control to social network analysis to psychological modeling, all of that, um, in all of these different fields, machine learning and artificial narrow intelligence have really, 
really taken off in the last 10 years. The other is robotics. Uh, you've seen the humanoid robot Sophia, the humanoid robot Amica, the, the kind of gray clay-colored robot that is getting all the media attention right now. We've seen the more physically-based humanoid robots, Atlas coming out of Boston Dynamics, or Optimus coming out of uh, Tesla, or the uh, newest one that has been making the rounds, Apollo, uh, created by Apptronic. These humanoid robots are clunky. They're kind of comical. They're not exactly scary, although Atlas I wouldn't necessarily want to box. Um, they're, they're what the transhumanists considered to be uh, they're embryonic entities. They represent what will come. And if you look back even 10 years, certainly 20 years, at what was available then, what had been developed then, these humanoids, however clunky, however ridiculous they may be, they are far beyond where they were 20 years ago. And again, unless you anticipate it stops here, then you have to assume that something more is on the way. What do you do in a world where humanoid robots become a norm? But I don't want to get hung up on that. I'll just give you one more, the third category, and that's biotechnology. And so much money is being poured into it. And the advent of CRISPR technology, you know, CRISPR was first discovered uh, really by um, Jennifer Doudna, and it was around 2011. It's a complicated story with a lot of characters. But they discovered uh, uh, an enzyme in E. coli bacteria, this part of the E. coli immune system, and it basically snips viral DNA or RNA, sorry. Uh, it snips viral RNA to kill a virus that has infected uh, E. coli. They were able to manipulate it to do the same to other genomes, including now human genomes. They've also been able to manipulate it to add nucleotides to genomes. And what that means is that CRISPR unlocked a key, a critical key, to be able to edit DNA at will. It's not perfect, uh, and, and the knowledge of the systems that it affects is far from complete. Uh, it's not magic, but it is astounding. And on, say, uh, just on the ground, the mass rollout and imposition of mRNA-based vaccines is a direct result of these advances in genomics and genetic engineering in general. And what we saw with the mass rollout of the mRNA-based vaccine, if you want to call it a vaccine, uh, is just a precursor to what's cooking up that we know about. It, Moderna, Pfizer, so on and so forth. Uh, this is going to have enormous implications going forward, not only biologically, but socially. And so from artificial intelligence to robotics to genetic engineering, we have seen remarkable advances in the actual technologies. And the mentality behind these technologies, the people developing them, the people trying to sell them to the public, the rhetoric directly reflects the values enshrined by transhumanists that the highest power in the universe is the human brain right now. The highest power in the universe 
in, in the very near future, they believe, will be technology. You could say, not, not unlike Norbert Wiener, the uh, famous uh, military technologist uh, just after World War II, really the guy who coined cybernetics, and from there you get the cyborg. Norbert Wiener called this gadget worship. And that is where we're at, not just among the, the elites in Silicon Valley, at uh, the World Economic Forum, or in our military-industrial complex. Gadget worship, implicitly and explicitly, is the zeitgeist of the culture we live in right now. This rollout is, in my optic, seems to be just ramping up, where I think that a lot of people see the with the mRNA shot and the awakening that kind of came from that, that there may be somewhat of a tapering. But it only seems like that was kind of the first step in a much bigger vision like you just alluded to. Is that how you see that? Absolutely. Uh, and it, it would be a lot easier if it was one vision, one cabal. That's a problem that's very easy to take care of. You get rid of the cabal, you pull them down from their thrones, and the vision is no longer relevant. Uh, unfortunately, this is not a conspiracy of one cabal. The only conspiracy that I've been able to identify is the conspiracy to make science fiction a reality. And even if it's just an approximation, even if it just stops here with most human beings on Earth plugged into a digital grid, increasingly constrained by digital currency, digital communication, virtual personas that are more important to them than their actual lives in the real world, even if we stop here, it's close enough to a bad sci-fi movie uh, to make me say we need to find the exit and get out. But if it continues forward, and I believe it will, then, yeah, that vision or those visions uh, will continue to impact not only the culture of the elite, but will impact our lives. All of these ideas of transhumanism or posthumanism or accelerationism, and there, there are a lot of varieties and there are a lot of different directions. It's not all the same, but to the extent that they're adopted by elites, they're adopted by elites in order to gain greater and greater control over their own bodies, over their own minds, over the material world, over nature herself, and of course, to gain more control over us, over the people in that society. So as the vision moves forward, or as these visions move forward, what you see are transhumanists or implicit transhumanists who just simply call themselves boss who use these technologies to apply their will to the world. And as we're plugged into that system, we're sold on the idea that we get more control, that we are going to be able to seize the day and have all of our packages shipped immediately and have instant gratification for the communication desires that we have. And we'll have instant gratification of our sexual desires. And we can even have food delivered to our doors. You are in control. You can even scan for your groceries with your palm. You are in control. That's what we're being sold on. But the concept of the cyborg is this. The concept of the cyborg is simply an animal, an organism that is in relationship to the machine, either through uh, a distant contact or direct integration. And a cyborg is to be a kind of two-way control system. The organism controls the machine and directs the machine. Uh, 
but the machine also has input to the organism. And more and more, as these technologies become fused to our lives, as we ourselves become more and more cyborg-like, what I see is that the will of the elite, uh, even if, if they're not economic elites, just simply they are the ones in the pilot seat of the machine, whatever that machine may be, their control is the most dominant force in the machine. And from our perspective, the gravity of will, the gravity of volition is less and less in us and more and more in the machine, especially to the extent that digital technology allows people to control the way that others think to the extent that they can even implant desires in people. They tell you what you want in subtle fashions that give you the illusion that that's what you always wanted. And so even the, the slight degree of control you have over the system is in some sense an illusion. You are satisfying a desire that was put into you by that system itself and by the people who control that system. We can go into the specifics if you'd like, but I think your listeners are probably uh, pretty familiar with the uh, abstract concept. Oh, absolutely. This really feeds into an interesting concept, which is at the root of the Satanist movement, which is do what thou wilt. Do you find, with, and you've got a really interesting background here because you have both the, the religious studies and interreligious inter studies, and you have science. So do you find that as a merger of this? Because the, the rise of Satanist movement across this country probably takes its roots back to Crowley, which I find interesting, and that's really the do what thou wilt. And that seems to be a center philosophy for what transhumanists represent. So the book Dark Eon, Eon is a direct reference to a Gnostic concept. Uh, we can go into it uh, if you'd like, but the Eon is a dual meaning. Eon as in period of time, and I spell it A-E-O-N in the archaic for two reasons. One, uh, it, 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 an aesthetic reason, but really, Eon is a concept in Gnosticism of a, of a, a deity-like figure. And transhumanism at least in its uh, some of its most potent forms, is an inversion of the Gnostic desire to transcend the material into the eternal spiritual. For the Gnostics who were put down by the Orthodox Church, the idea was that the body, that the material was evil, and that the only salvation of human beings is to attain gnosis, a sacred or secret knowledge that would free us from our bodies and allow us to escape into the eternal spiritual realm. Transhumanism is an inversion of that. Transhumanism also holds that the body is evil and that the, at the very least, very uncomfortable and inconvenient. And since most of them are atheists, most of them believe that God must be created, that the spiritual dimensions that the, the Gnostics wanted to escape into are not there for us to escape into. They must be created to step into. So the Satanist element is runs neck and neck with this. So I, I, I talk about Crowley and especially the dictum, do what thou wilt in the book. And I make reference to Crowley's attempt to revive the Gnostic church under a much more of infernal and openly uh, demonic sort of form to the extent that, that Crowley 
could even be categorized as a Satanist. You know, his his vision of the world is in some ways even darker than what one thinks of when one thinks of black masses and Satanism in general. But you can trace a direct line, it's a, a, a single cultural thread through Crowley into science fiction with people like Robert Heinlein and into figures like Timothy Leary, who is most famous for his uh, LSD advocacy, the high priest of LSD, Timothy Leary. But come the 80s, Timothy Leary became a mouthpiece for cybernetic culture, for computer culture. And in fact, he wrote an article that's quite fascinating tying the Crowley dictum of do what thou wilt to computer culture, to the personal computer. It's kind of a complicated title, load and run, high-tech polytheism, something or another. Uh, It was published in the magazine Reality Hackers. My apologies to the audience. I've never been able to remember that title. Uh, It's very wordy, but uh, it's easy to find. Load and run, high-tech polytheism, Reality Hackers. That's the magazine. Timothy Leary argues that the personal computer is, in fact, a ritual chamber and that all of the components of the personal computer are uh, correspondences to the various magical implements that are set forward in Aleister Crowley's system of, of magic so that the mouse becomes the wand or that the hard disk becomes the pentacle, the earth, and so on and so forth, and that the ones and zeros are like the yin and yang uh, in in uh, Taoist alchemy, so on and so forth. And the central feature is that the personal computer allows any individual to do what thou wilt. So you keep tracing that into Silicon Valley and Aleister Crowley and the ideas that, that, that were channeled through people like Heinlein, through people like Timothy Leary, the ideas have suffused the Silicon Valley culture alongside trans transhumanism and in many ways, uh, you know, interlinking with them. And so, you know, one of the chapters of my book, in fact, the entire second part, the pentagram of power is looking at the infernal nature and the infernal symbols that surround the transhumanist movement. Uh, uh, without going too far into this, um, I, I feel I've already gone on too far or too long, but your listeners may recall a figure, Eliezer Yudkowsky. And Eliezer Yudkowsky is probably the foremost AI doomer. AI is going to kill us all, he says. Yudkowsky is himself a transhumanist. But in a very famous interview conducted maybe five months ago, perhaps less, he talked about AI as summoning demons and GPT technology as demon summoning circles and that open sourcing artificial intelligence of that potency is the equivalent of putting demon summoning circles in everyone's homes. He gets the idea from Elon Musk. He directly references it. In 2014, as Musk really started to get onto this notion of dangerous existentially threatening artificial intelligence systems, he famously in an MIT conference said that summoning or creating artificial intelligence is like summoning the demon. That idea was also echoed by Ezra Klein in the New York Times. 
as he described his experience of all of his connections in Silicon Valley, saying that many of them also see artificial intelligence as summoning the demon. And the symbol of Cthulhu coming out of H.P. Lovecraft is now cliche that artificial intelligence is Cthulhu. Artificial intelligence is this soulless, monstrous, inhuman intelligence that is invading our world, but invading it with little smiley face masks. That would be the user interface. So the, as a symbol, Satan, demons, Cthulhu, all of this is rampant in techno culture. How many of them actually believe in Satan? How many of them actually believe in demons? Um, that's very unclear to me. I know there is, there are certainly uh, bits of evidence that many elites have dipped into Luciferian philosophies, uh, everything from Freemasonry to the OTO, the Ordo Templi Orientis, founded by Aleister Crowley. But um, I, the predominant strain that I see are atheists who see the world in terms of atoms in the void, who see the world in terms of biological, cultural, and now digital evolution, and they see Satan as a fantastic symbol for the powers that human beings have already gained by harnessing the, the, the energies of evolution, by manipulating the energies of evolution, and they see Satan as a, a profound symbol for what they want to accomplish. I'll end on one final example, which I also highlight in the book, Max Moore, who really brought transhumanism to the forefront uh, of, of public consciousness, famously wrote an essay in praise of the devil in which he openly advocates the use of Lucifer as a symbol for atheists as the innate human intelligence that must break free of the traditional symbol of God, the controller, in order to, to fulfill the human destiny of, of controlling our own bodies, controlling evolution, and ultimately controlling the world. So there is a deep, deep element of Satanism and a deep element of Gnosticism, but most of what I go into is actually quite surprising in the ways that they interpret it themselves. That was a fantastic discussion. I mean, seriously, this, what you may not know on here, we talk a lot about the, the impact of the demonic very openly as, as part of just a world that we've long forgotten or have, has been suppressed by the church. It's interesting because the, the central, one of the central pieces in we deal with the authorities that have been given to us through scripture and through Jesus himself is literally to obviously share the gospel of Jesus Christ to heal the sick and the broken, to cast out demons, to raise the dead, and to do greater works. I mean, those are literally authorities and principles of the commissions we've been given. So you really hit on something really central here, which I think is very powerful. And as you said, and it's what you said is they see that this spirit, the demonic spirit, or the Satan is giving them the powers. And this is one of the arguments that I make here regularly, is that the church, which has become just very obedient rather than being the church of healing and miracles, which is literally right out of Ezekiel 34, because it's becomes essentially dead stone walls and dead pulpits, 
they have gained an enormous advantage in the culture war, meaning Satanists, because they are actually able to point to technologies as a production of power, which Satan provides. Would you agree with that? I, I do, and I increasingly feel uh, uh, marginalized and increasingly insane for how much I agree with you on that. I, I do. Uh, the the notion that Satan is merely a symbol is to me delusional. The to me, and I, I, I'm go not going to speak for you, but I think for you, for most of your listeners, if not all, the spiritual is the primary reality. It's invisible to the naked eye, but the forces that are operate in the spiritual realm are the primary reality. That's our source. Ultimately, it's our destination. And so the symbols themselves, even if they consider these, sim these symbols as being ways of harnessing material power, to me, they are playing with fire. They are, they are, they are harnessing energies that go far beyond the material, even if they do operate within the material. And it's, it's a confusing question in regard to technology because, you know, a, a fantastic book. And I would say that my book is an attempt at extending the project of uh, David Noble and his book, The Religion of Technology. And in the early part, he, he delves deeply into the history of concepts of technology in the medieval church. And most of our early concepts of technology, people really thinking about the implications, come out of the monasteries in the medieval period. And they saw the windmill or the water wheel or the grindstone or the plow. They saw these as means of alleviating earthly toil on our way to heaven. And it's astounding how quickly that transformed in the Industrial Revolution. Noble tracks it, and in my own book, I, I pick up that thread and, and weave it into the current era. Uh, what you see is suddenly the, the rejection of or the abandonment of the spiritual point of view, the adoption of a purely materialist point of view that is based in power, that's based in influence, that's based in the material, the control of the material. And out of that, the religion of technology there's no longer Christians contemplating what are these tools that at the time were fairly primitive, but rather atheists who begin to see these tools as ways of allowing human beings to become gods themselves. And also at the most extreme ends, which has become, I mean, this is literally on the news. Like you've got Eric Schmidt telling uh, Fareed, whatever his name is at CNN, that what they're working on at Google and Microsoft and OpenAI and at, at Meta is literally the creation of a superhuman intelligence, i.e. a god. And so the idea moves from man becoming god by way of technology and material control to man creating a material god and not like an Egyptian statue that requires a priest to speak for it. Uh, yes, you have the techies who, in some sense, operate as priests, but now you have this digital entity that spans the whole globe that any person can open up their ritual chamber, right? Their ritual portal, their demon summoning portal, and ask it the most vital questions of human existence. Why am I here? Who am I? 
What's wrong with me? How do I make myself better? Where do I go? Who do I love? What do I do? They're creating a God on earth and it speaks. It speaks like the image of the beast in Revelation. It speaks. And so the question going forward to me, I, I delve into all of this in the in the book, but I don't come to any hard and fast answers because I do believe that this is ultimately a mystery. We get glimpses of the contours to, to make our way as we blindly grope. But what is happening right now is this tremendous revolution, it not only technologically, socially, psychologically, and at its essence, spiritually. We are in the middle of an accelerating revolution, and the ultimate question is going to be, what do I do in the face of this? How do I raise a family in the face of this? What do I teach my children about what the highest earthly powers are calling the highest power in the universe? This seems like an inevitable clash between the culture of do as thou wilt and the culture of I choose God by free will. This literally takes us right back to the book of Enoch. So I'm very curious here how you see that because there seems to be a coming clash that's unavoidable. A technocratic society driven by a vision of transhumanism versus a society choosing the path of God and faith and something greater than all things and seeing God as the great creator, as the one God. Doesn't that seem to be a battlefield that's emerging before us? The question of what direction our civilization is oriented is beyond a crisis point. The influence of traditional Christianity on the society at large has withered to not nothing, but uh, let's just say that the floodgates seem ready to open at any time and uh, the, the demons to pour in. I, I'm reminded, I, as I watch this unfold, I think a lot about the rise of empires such as Egypt uh, or the Roman Empire, and what, especially the Roman Empire, what was the Christian response to the expansion and uh, the dominance of a pagan sis system which demanded loyalty and, to some extent, worship of the emperor? And their response was to both separate themselves from that culture, not unlike their Jewish predecessors, uh, but to also engage that culture. And of course, to continue to engage each other and, and to maintain their communities. But what that looked like was ostracism, demonization, martyrdom, being completely disenfranchised at some periods, until Constantine made the church the empire, uh, Christians had to live under a, a horrific empire. And, uh, you know, when John was writing on Patmos and he described the beast system that every man and woman and child would need to take a mark on the hand or the forehead in order to buy and sell, meaning that you had to take the mark to participate in society. The number was 666, and I am not, I'm no master of Hebrew, nor am I a master of Gematria, but I'm fairly pers persuaded by others who link that number 666 to Nero, Caesar, 
and that the the in it, the number was intended as a representation of Nero who was persecuting Christians and that mark reflected the brand that a Roman slave would receive on the forehead or the brand that a Roman soldier would receive on the hand. But we all know that what John was writing about, what John received on Patmos from the Son of Man was not just intended for that time, that it extends forward into the future. And so as we move now into a system where everyone has a temporary mark on their hand as they use their smartphones to operate in a society. Basically, everything it's just short of being required to participate, required to buy and sell. And if it's not attached to their foreheads, it's attached to their hands as they're quickly paying at the checkout line. And as we move into a world in which perhaps more and more biometric systems such as you see soon to be in every whole food store you pay you buy with your palm a biometric system that records your palm print and attaches it to your digital identity and your wallet normalized or to enter an airport or many other facilities you can use clear the biometric system that shoots right at your your eyes and your face, your forehead included, in order to gain access to the goods of society. That's really a minority, or it's a, it's a kind of a fringe thing at the moment. We'll see how much it takes off. But it could also be this mark on the hand and the forehead is also quite resonant with the idea of a chip in the hand or a chip in the head, and so on and so forth going forward these technological mirrors to the vision put forward by, by John. I explore it in the book in an abstract way. I, I don't consider myself to be in the genre of end times ministers who have one-to-one correspondences between human history and the book of revelation, but the archetypes, the, the image of a one world system ruled over by a satanic theocracy which requires a mark on the hand and the head in order to participate in which a beast is made to speak and everyone will be commanded to worship it. It sure does sound like we're entering that period. And it sure does sound like it sure does seem like technology is the vehicle for that antichrist. And just one final note on that antichrist I'm I'm no master of Greek either, but I've learned a bit. And in the original Greek, anti does mean opposed to or against, but anti also means in place of. So antichrist is that being or those being, those many antichrists that John mentions in his letters, uh, that antichrist is that being in place of Christ. And what does Christ offer? Christ offers wisdom on how to live, Christ offers a direction to God. Christ offers healing. What is technology offering? What is this system, this technocratic system, as you so aptly put it, directed by a transhumanist philosophy? What does this system offer? All of those things, knowledge, spiritual orientation, and healing. And so, and plenty. 
And so we do face, whether it's immediate and urgent or whether it's just simply perennial and we face it for the next thousand years or 10,000 years, we currently live in a system of an antichrist, in a beast system, and we have to forge our way forward in that. That's, uh, that's my view on it. I think it's fantastic. I'm in totally agreement with you that I don't push the end time philosophies. I think that we're in a, in a change of eras for certain, but I, the end time philosophies tend to be significantly disempowering to people as they wait for someone to wait for Jesus to return to solve it for them. And I think that we have a very active role. And I think what I, what I read in your book, you seem to have that same view that we have a choice ahead of us and that we have a choice to avert from this coming world or disaster. How do you see that happening or evolving, or where do you see our responsibilities in that? Uh, you know, the, the final chapter, Axial Powers, uh, looks back to the Axial Age, uh, identified by the uh, the brilliant uh, philosopher Carl Jaspers just after the Second World War. Now, I, I hope that Christians are able to understand it in the abstract without feeling like I'm trying to push some kind of airy-fairy new age, uh, you know, religion of all religions. I'm certainly not doing that. I hope I make that clear. But what I do see there, and it was also identified by Lewis Mumford, the, the brilliant philosopher of technology and historian, that the axial age and Christianity being uh, really at the, the, the culmination of the axial age that the Axial Age, that period between 800 B.C. and 200 B.C., which saw the rise of the philosophers in Greece, the prophets in Israel, the priests of Persia, the ascetics of India, and the sages of China, what we now call world religions, that Axial period and its values, the idea emerged that the spiritual world is transcendent of the material, that the individual is more valuable than the, the collective. And Jesus, I think, is in, in you know, you, Jaspers was in some ways maybe trying to explain away Christianity by looking at this theory, maybe not, but Jesus undoubtedly is the distillation of the best of all of those. What Jesus said is puts it in the clearest and starkest terms that you cannot serve two gods. You either have God or mammon. It's not to say that every single person has to become an ascetic, but inwardly, spiritually, I think in some sense we're all called to. And Jesus set up this opposition between the spiritual powers and the powers of this world. And what I see going forward as we see more and more the dominant worldly powers armed by extremely powerful technologies right now, and I anticipate to be armed with even more technologies going forward, the question is going to be, uh, as, as I stated a minute ago, how do you maintain the Christian tradition handed down to you by your ancestors how do you instill that in your children and keep that torch passed along from generation to generation, orienting the human soul towards the transcendent God? How do you do it? I have my own answers. They're very extreme, 
I, I, I provide uh, some of them, but this is the a question that I don't think that I could answer for everybody. And, and if I try to, you should probably either join my cult and give me all your money or dismiss me. Um, but I think that the most basic element is to identify exactly what it is that these people are talking about, what it is they're after. Uh, th what does it mean to live in a society that is oriented towards the technological, the material, the indulgent, the decadent? And what does it mean to maintain spiritual integrity within it? I think the very first thing you have to have, the ability to say no and the resolve to say no. Uh, during the pandemic, that metal was tested. That was a foretaste. I believe there will be many, many more increasingly nightmarish opportunities to exercise your power to say no. Uh, the other is uh, the, the the continual cultivation of what has been handed down to us, both the spiritual traditions, that being gathering in sacred spaces, that being meditative and prayer practices, that being a constant, the, the, the commandment that you shall love your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, that those are, is, will be, as, as much as it's a struggle now, increasingly difficult to maintain that orientation going forward, especially with the hyper-digitization of the human mind, which most of us, myself included, uh, have fallen weak to. Uh, one more point uh, on that, I, and I think this is really, really important going forward, it, for for kids growing up now, I myself don't have children. I, uh, I I I am surrounded by the fruits of a misspent youth, but um, I, I am very close with my nieces and nephews, and very close friends with children. And uh, I, to me, you know, this is true wisdom is knowing that the next gener the future belongs to the next generation, and to the extent the next generation is wired up for control. Uh, they will be at the mercy of the powers of this world. And so it's going to be increasingly important to learn how to train your children to be competent, to be able to navigate this world, uh, not to uh, shield them so that they are completely taken by surprise when that world intrudes upon them or they're thrown out into it, but um, I, to be able to engage that world while maintaining that still core, while maintaining that that bond to God, that bond to a higher moral order that is less and less reflected in the culture at large. Uh, these are probably all very, very generic recommendations. Um, I, I, I wish I could offer something more specific, but even if I was speaking directly to one person or you, um, I, I, I feel like I would be very much... Uh, it would be very presumptuous of me to try to tell people how to live their lives. I, I guess I have in some ways alleviated that response or relieved myself of that responsibility and taken up the, the task of trying to describe the world as it is uh, with only giving hints of what I think it should be. But I do believe that in my ideal, the world, the social, psychological and spiritual world must be bound to tradition. It must be bound through organic person-to-person -person connections, and uh, we are ultimately all in this together, even as humanity fragments into various uh, what will appear increasingly to be different 
subspecies or races of human being. That was an ex- excellent discussion, Joe. And just so we kind of frame this, I really respect the place you've gone to because ultimately, as as I've established this program, this is always on two pillars, faith and knowledge. And ultimately, it's our choice. And that's literally what God has asked for us from the very beginning, is that that conflict that reached us back into Enoch was always about one side, which that side we would refer to in a modern-day colloquialism kind of name is Satan. That power was choosing or demanding that humanity be told how to worship and who to worship, where God was pushing to the place of saying humanity must choose and ultimately the expectation and hope would they be would be that they would choose God to receive the full depth and breadth of their inheritance. So I think you've you've positioned it beautifully because ultimately the knowledge you're presenting here is essential for people to make their choice and by free will choose the path. What really reminds me here as we're talking is Jeremiah six sixteen because this is thus says the Lord stand by the ways and seek and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. That, that passage has been very influential for myself over the last few years as we really witness the two sides making choices and directions we go. So and, and just kind of a, as a, some wrap-up thoughts here, and it, what you've hit on, which I think is very pressing and prescient as well for people, is the concept of technologies. It's a big question. We use these technological platforms as we're talking here. These has given us an incredible ability to connect and spread information. And yet, as you pointed out from Crowley himself, they see these these technologies as the fundamental foundation of their own cultish beliefs and the principles of do, do as thou wilt. How do you see that step there? I think that's a, if we want to talk a tangible thing, where do you see that step in following that path towards the ancient and the traditions that and of Christian roots? versus the, the use of technology in, in the applied senses of good versus the consumption of technology in the uh, capturing of all that you are and being pulled towards a different side of different worship. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Uh, you, you know, uh, going back to my days as a rigger, two things that really had a deep impact on me. One, being able to visit the ancient places of worship uh, all over the U.S., uh, but especially all over the, the world, the ancient cathedrals of Europe and synagogues, uh, e- even Hindu temples in India and Indonesia, the Buddhist temples of Thailand or Japan, uh, the mosques in the Middle East. Again, I am not, as a disclaimer, I am not trying to push some sort of globo homo version of uh, Christianity or anything remotely like it, but spending time in these ancient places of worship had a very deep impact on me. And not to say they're all the same, but there is, let's say, a similar spirit, especially compared to the world that I was coming out of. That world being that machine, that touring machine, that entertainment machine, that sensory stimulation machine, a machine that was able to gather people by the thousands or even hundreds of thousands and have them all think, sing, speak, and move in unison in accordance with the emanations of that machine. Now, 
I got to see Billy Graham's Last Crusade in Queens, and I'm a big admirer of Billy Graham. If uh, if I could give one more book hook, uh, I talk about Billy Graham's TED Talk in the book, alongside Jeremiah, by the way. But seeing Billy Graham's Last Crusade, a million people in Flushing Meadows Park in Queens, and seeing how someone who I believe, despite all of his, I would say, odious political connections, sincerely wanted to bring people to God. But seeing this old man amplified by the machine, all the security around it, the physical you know, security guards, security around it, all of the money around it, all of the digital manipulations proceeding, and following his sermon, there's something profoundly disturbing about it. It's really hard to tell where the gravity was. Was the gravity in God? Was the gravity in Billy Graham? Was the gravity in the machine itself? And then you have guys, and I hope I don't offend anyone, or maybe I don't care, guys like Joel Osteen, who I've I've seen live multiple times. And if there was ever a snake... And you know, I, th- this guy is, to me, more satanic than Anton LaVey himself. Just as fake as can be and entirely empowered by technology. As far from the ancient tradition as you could possibly get. Mammon personified speaking the name of Jesus. Just chilling. And so that, that dichotomy between what is most ancient and what is the newest really set deep in my soul this notion, and maybe it's idiosyncratic. Maybe I'm just a a Luddite schizophrenic. I don't know. But I, I have a very hard time believing that this digital system can be infused with holiness as easily as it can be infused with the demonic. And everything that happens in this system is subject to surveillance, is subject to manipulation, is used to train artificial intelligence system systems. The AIs absorb these communications and absorb some part of our humanity in it, including that which is holy. Does that make the AI holy? Or is it, in some sense, throwing pearls before swine? Is it, in some sense... The, the money changers in the temple that need to be driven out. I, I, I don't have any hard and fast answers, but I can say without a doubt that this is a concession that uh, should be approached with a lot of caution. And for the last two and a half years, I've become a cyborg, really. For the last two and a half years, I have fused to the machine to gripe about the machine. It's not healthy. Don't do it. Uh, and the minute you see me disappear from this machine, it means I've either had a black bag thrown over my head and have been taken away, or I'm in a much happier place out in the world. Uh, this machine is not going to be made sacred, I don't believe. But I, I'm not trying to make a definitive theological statement. I just think that this machine, and by the machine, I mean the entire technological system or systems on top of systems on top of systems, it must be viewed with great suspicion 
and what is most sacred, what is most holy, you're going to hear its voice inside yourself, and it probably won't be spoken in words unless you are that privileged. It is in, in the silence within yourself, and it's on occasion in those moments of brilliance spoken through other humans. I'm not saying that there's something fundamentally different about the words that come out of a human being's mouth who is speaking a, a holy incantation, but the minute it touches the digital, it becomes mechanical. It becomes a part of that system. Um, so I, that was a long way of saying I have a profound mistrust of the machine and whatever benefits we have to gain from it, I feel that it will take more than it gives. That's so in line with what we discuss here. Fantastic discussion, Joe. I just want you to know up front, you're welcome here anytime. I, I love these discussions. I'm really impressed with your work and really impressed with your voice on this. It's a difficult space to navigate, and I don't. I think what's very encouraging here is you're not navigating it. You're just laying out the facts, and you're presenting a, a very solid way of looking at the world to allow people the foundation to make the choices and be able to navigate themselves the choices that they have to make between choosing whom you serve, ultimately, is what this comes down to. Let's hear again the title of the book and where they can find it, because this is probably one of the most important books we have in our time, in my opinion. Uh, the book is Dark Eon, A-E-O-N, uh, Dark Eon, Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity. And you can find it pretty much anywhere books are sold. Uh, you can, If you ask Barnes & Noble, you can even pick one up in person. I uh, cannot recommend that enough. You can also get it from the Amazon Beast and Feed My Algorithms, uh, or you can get it directly from Barnes & Noble, or you can get it directly from the publisher, Skyhorse Publishing. Uh, and uh, my hope is that it, it lays out the landscape before us uh, in enough detail, especially the ideological or spiritual underpinnings of these technologies, and also gives you a great sense, a grasp on where the technologies themselves are right now. And my, my hope is in the end, as dark as the period we are entering is, and as dark as the subject matter of the book is, my genuine hope is that it inspires you to take control of your life, to apply everything that we've been handed from our ancestors to your life, and to forge a positive path forward. Because like you, I don't think paralysis in the face of the end of the world is any kind of attitude to take. Uh, our ancestors have met far, far greater challenges than this, or if not, then this, the greatest challenge, has to be met with the same fervor that our ancestors met their challenges. And that is the attitude I hope to instill. We are going to win. And by we, I mean you and me and the two people who agree with me on here. And by when, I mean uh, eternally, not necessarily here on the physical plane, but hopefully for a time we can, we can keep our forts intact. Very well said. Joe, we always close with a prayer, and if it's okay with you, we'll do a prayer. Absolutely. Father God, I just want to thank you today for Joe Allen. This is truly an inspired conversation. And again, the blessings that he brings here is the deep insight of knowledge into an enemy that at times seems to be overwhelming and truly wants us to believe that it is the great creator of all things when we know that is one of the greatest lies. 
Father, we just pray today that this will, is this message will resonate well with people to awaken them into the resolve to make the choice of whom they shall serve and to do it diligently and with passion in the heart to stand up fearlessly against an enemy and to never bow and to know purely that you are the great great creator of all things. And in so doing, where is the true one God that can overcome all things? So Father, please guide us and direct us as we move. Please continue to bless Joe and all that he does. Guide him in, in his continued quest of pursuing the truth and sharing the truth to the world. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome interview. I just really enjoyed you today. And like I said, you are welcome back anytime. I, I find your work inspiring because it is the difficult walk of trying to bring about the knowledge of, of a very dark technology and yet trying to bring that to a surface where people can make a legitimate choice on how they choose to walk in the world, which I think more than ever is before us and probably one of the most important parts of this time in which we live. Scott, it's been a real privilege. Uh, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Fantastic speaking with you. It's awesome. Well, have a blessed day and we'll look forward to talking again soon. You as well. Thank you very much. And God bless. Well, Patriots, like I said, Joe is going to be at Bards Fest. He confirmed today. He'll be speaking on Thursday, and it'll be a good day on Thursday. We've got a lot of great kickoff speakers on that. So that's probably a good idea for you to get to Bards Fest. And you know that you can get your tickets donation-based on adbardsfm.com. So head on over there. And you can also see the whole lineup that we've got there. The website looks great. A lot of good work that's going on that. So you just go up to bardsfm.com, click on the banner, and it'll take you right to the, the Bards Fest page. But he will be there, and I would encourage you to be at Bards Fest if you can. Obviously, this is a very important topic. It's one that has, I think, shaped the world more than most people realize. I don't think people realize how embedded this thinking is, how native it is to some people, and how excited many people are for this concept of integrating technologies into the human genome. And it's really a way of thinking that is very native to the younger generation, but it's something that is at the core of this new global order, which ultimately these are Satanists and atheists that see this as their way of becoming gods and moving humans away from any concept or semblance of being the creation of God. And that simply can't happen. Patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for Fishers of Men. Remember, Patriots, on tomorrow, bended knee is at 6 a.m. Remember, until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, 
defeatist belief, it leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor, will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples. It has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. Push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath. <laughs> 